What's up everybody? This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com. Move my mic closer here. Uh, I was cruising on uh, BlowoutForums.com earlier, like over the past couple of days, I guess. And I, I got to tell you all something like, I visit that place probably every day or uh, every couple of days. It's a great place. Check it out. Uh, the forums really in general. Uh, FreedomCardboard.com, uh, Collectors Universe, Net54, all those places are great places to, great places to uh, talk about uh, baseball cards and baseball in general. And it can tend to get a little rowdy in some of those forums, especially blowout, but it's still a good place. Uh, anyway, so somebody posted a poll. Well, first of all, I think they started a thread as the question is like, what is the most iconic baseball card for every team and then with that was like an offshoot of a lot of other threads that said what is the most iconic card for the Padres the Orioles the Mariners so and so forth and man I don't know I gotta tell y'all something like this is just like a really intriguing question for me because uh, I actually had plans to come up with uh, during the workday an entire list of what I thought the most iconic baseball cards for each team would be. I think we've got about 30 teams or something. Uh, and so I uh, probably after about five of them, I go, yeah, this is going to take a whole lot more brain power. And ultimately, uh, you know, than I thought it would. So ultimately I decided to kind of shelf the idea and uh, maybe just muse about it in my own head whenever I get a chance. But uh, when I started thinking about it, why don't I talk to you all about this? and uh, share some of my thoughts. So it was kind of fun to think about this. Now, some of the teams uh, are gonna be rather easy, I think, rather easy picks. The Mariners, for instance, I don't think there's anything more iconic than a nine upper deck King Griffey Jr. Uh, might be a little harder for Yankees. Uh, some might think, for instance, the 33 Gowdy Ruth. Um, I, as a matter of fact, that was kind of the first one that I picked. And I go, wait a second, no. 52 tops mantle. So probably a little more difficult though uh, of a pick for the Yankees than is the Mariners just because of the storied franchise that they've had. Uh, then you also get somebody like, let's say the Cardinals. Cardinals have just had a fantastic history and you know you can think of guys such as like Stan Musial uh, back in 1948, I believe is his rookie. So can Stan the man be the number one guy or, or would you want to uh, fast forward all the way up to uh, uh, 2001 for Albert Pujols's uh, uh, Bowman Chrome Refractor autograph? You know, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a coin toss uh, in that situation. And uh, so I think those polls are great. The polls have been fantastic because it's opened up a lot of dialogue and conversation. So feel free to follow along on their blowoutforums.com and, uh, and you know, feel free to put your two cents in as well. Um, you know, some of the teams I couldn't really think of, uh, like what the most iconic card would be. Uh, like for instance, the Brewers, I mean, who's it going to be? Is it going to be like a 75 tops Robin Yount? 78 tops Paul Molitor, perhaps. Maybe there's a Cecil Cooper in there or a Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun. 
do we want to go even further, uh, like even more recent with uh, Christian Yelich? I, I don't know. Uh, it's just something that's really fun to talk about. And of course, the next question is, what exactly is an iconic card anyways? And so uh, the two teams in question in particular for me uh, and for a lot of people online uh, that really kind of brought that question forth is the Orioles and the Athletics. So you have, let's start out with the Orioles. So when you think of an iconic Orioles card, what do you think of? For me, I think of like the 1957 Topps Brooks Robinson. Think of the 1982 Topps traded Cal Ripken Jr. I also think of, uh, you know, the uh, 1989 Fleer <clears throat> Rick face Billy Ripken. I don't really know if there's anything else. I mean, I think there's a 1977 Topps prototype Reggie Jackson that shows him as a member of the Orioles, perhaps. That's out there, if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't think anybody was talking about that. There's probably a Jim Palmer rookie in there. I think that was like 65, perhaps. But I don't even know if he was on the Orioles at that point. But, uh, but anyway, so I would say for me, uh, you know, it really kind of boiled down to the 82 tops trade Cal Ripken Jr., and the 89 Fleer, uh, Rick Face, Billy Ripken era. And now for you, for those of you out there uh, who don't know what the Rick Face era is, well, you probably haven't been collecting uh, for that long. <laughs> uh, back in uh, 1989, just as a quick rundown, Fleer cards started coming out and everybody enjoyed them until somebody opened up uh a pack of 89 Fleer and saw Billy Ripken standing there uh, with his bat over his shoulder looking at the camera and the bat knob said uh, F face with F being the swear word and uh, that doesn't really go over too well <laughs> for a lot of parents they're buying these cards for the kids and uh, so Needless to say, uh, Fleer tries everything to stop the presses, stop the presses. Remember, this is the junk wax era, and so they're probably printing like four million of them or something. So they try a number of things to uh, on a number of these these cards. I'm sure it was like really really tedious. Uh, they would try. They did a whiteout, a scribble out. Uh, they even took a saw cut uh, where they actually sawed uh, that part of the card from the bottom all the way up to the bat knob uh, up. And, uh, you know, could you imagine, by the way, first of all, who on earth has this, base, this baseball bat? Could you imagine how much that would be worth right now? Could you imagine if, like, Tops or somebody got a hold of it and sliced the uh, bat knob and put it on a baseball card. <laughs> I couldn't imagine how much that thing would go for. But anyways, uh, yeah, so the probably the most common of all 89 Fleer uh, corrected versions of this Billy Ripken card is the black box. 
doesn't really go for a whole lot. Uh, it's basically, uh, you know, I don't even know how much it would sell for nowadays at auction. I mean, a dollar, two dollars less. I don't know. Uh, some of them still go for good money. Uh, the one with the actual swear word is not the most expensive. I don't think. I think it's like the the saw blade or the the whiteout. Perhaps I'm not really sure. I don't. I'm not an expert on. But there is a website out there somewhere that's dedicated to this card, and uh, which is rather interesting. Um, because there are other variations of this card out there, uh, more than I'm actually mentioning, uh, which is kind of fun. I love, I love this sort of thing. But Beckett starts uh, 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 mentioning this card as the Rick Face error. <laughs> so, uh, and I, which is funny because like that's what I remember. But uh, last time I checked. Uh, a Beckett. I think I did that actually on a podcast probably a few weeks ago. I was going through an old Beckett and it actually didn't say Rick Face, which is interesting. Um, so I don't know when they did that or if I made it up in my head. I'm pretty sure I didn't make it up in my head. I'm pretty sure that was what Beckett did call it. Uh, but anyway, it's very interesting. I actually made a, a custom of that card and I, I actually photoshopped the the barrel or the knob by saying Rick face and I put a I photoshopped uh, Rick from The Walking Dead uh, his face on Billy Ripken <laughs> and uh, you know put it online everybody got a kick out of that uh, and interesting just uh, a few more rabbit trails before we get back on track here uh, Inline Fleer has a has a few other uh, interesting errors where like the Jeff Treadway for instance has like some sort of printed effect, I think, or like a trademark or something. I don't remember exactly what it is. Uh, a couple of the Brewers players had uh, mixed backs. Uh, Randy Johnson, I think, had a Marlboro uh, sign in the background that they had to cover up. So, uh, 89 Fleer isn't the only set that's like this. There's a lot of uh, sets in the Junk Wax area that have all kinds of errors like this, which makes it a blast to go through all kinds of commons and everything and to really kind of look for this sort of thing. Um, it's really kind of a neat little treasure hunt that's, that's cheap. So, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you want to engage or partake in this, feel free to drop a few bucks at a card shop or Craigslist. Uh, if you see any boxes of cards from the junk wax era or wax boxes, even it's kind of fun. You might even be able to find some errors yourself if you look hard enough. I'm not joking either. I mean, <laughs> they do have a lot of those out there. So, uh, yeah, I think Billy Ripken, if I remember correctly, years later, like as of, as in like either this year or last year, because this year is actually the 30 year anniversary of the, uh, the expletive card. And, uh, I think, uh, there's a lot of speculation, like what was this? Did Fleer do this to amp sales up or did they allow it? Like, did Billy Ripken know about it? What was it? I think? I think Billy Ripken actually ended up fessing up uh, on having something to do with this, if I remember correctly. Uh, but so that was uh, go Google it. You'll you'll find out some more information about it. It's, it's kind of a fun read. But uh, and yeah, you know, to to get go on one final rabbit trail uh, for you all here. Uh, this isn't the first time 
that a uh, uh, vulgar gesture, I guess you could say, was found on a baseball card. There is uh, an old judge baseball card, if I remember correctly, uh, by a baseball player. I think he's a Hall of Famer. His name is Old Haas Radborn. If you look close enough on one of the variations of his card, he's actually flipping off the camera. So I guess you could say he was kind of the original bad boy in, uh, <laughs> in baseball cards. <laughs> but uh, anyways, pretty, pretty interesting. I was interested in one, but I think like the last one sold for like eight grand or something I'm like, oh, yeah, probably not going to happen here. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of an interesting little little history uh, tidbit there from where I remember. I, I, maybe it wasn't eight grand. It was something like that, though. But anyhow, so the question we come back to is for the Orioles, for instance, which Orioles card is the most iconic? And let's go ahead and narrow this down to four of them, actually. Let's let's narrow it down to the the 57 tops Brooks Robinson rookie card. We've got a... Uh, uh, Hall of Fame rookie that uh, I mean, we're talking old school from the 50s, right? 57, the set is iconic. It's a nice headshot of him. Great, great card. And uh, outstanding player. I think they called him the human vacuum cleaner. Uh, I'm trying to remember I tell you all these like little factoids of baseball. I could be wrong from time to time because I'm just kind of pulling this from my head. Uh, from memory, but uh, anyways, Brooks Robinson, I mean, I think he was a World Series champion. Uh, I don't know if the, uh, I'm trying to think, I, I, was, I was thinking maybe the Orioles won the 70 World Series, or uh, at least he was in the 69 World Series, but I know that the Mets, the Mesa Mets won the 69 World Series, so Anyways, like I said, <laughs> y'all, Google is my best friend uh, when it comes to this because I have these these little factoids and thoughts bouncing in my head like all the time, and I always use Google to kind of figure out if I'm right or wrong or or whatever. So, anyways, uh, so <laughs> here's what we've come up with for Brooks Robinson. Uh, we know his rookie is 57 tops. We know 57 tops is iconic. We think his nickname was the Human Vacuum Cleaner. We also think that he's a uh, uh, a World Series champion, but at, le at the very least, we know that he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, anyways, he's a uh, so so that card certainly uh, has has merit to be called possibly the uh, most iconic Baltimore Orioles card. But let's move up with. Uh, Let's move up with the 77 tops, Reggie Jackson. Uh, the uh, the prototype, I guess it is, of the Baltimore Orioles. Again, guys, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a prototype. I think maybe there's like only a few that were uh, that were released and not pack pulled or anything. I don't think. I mean, oh gosh, for all I know, this could have been a Photoshop job by somebody. But I think, I think, I think it was a real prototype. So for, uh, for our purpose here, let's go ahead and uh, assume that it was a real prototype card. So uh, you have uh, an incredible player 
in Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, who is known primarily for playing on the A's and the Yankees. And uh, obviously his, his World Series heroics did not go unnoticed. He was actually, I believe, uh, one of the starters of uh, the, uh, the facial hair revolution from uh, the Swing and A's back in the uh, early mid-70s. Now, if, you, uh, if you've been paying attention to your baseball cards, boys and girls, there's one thing that you're going to notice for, from the early 70s all the way back uh, until like the turn of the century. Hardly nobody has any facial hair. Really kind of weird. No mustaches, no beards or anything like that. Uh, or at least no mustaches. So, uh, and you know, even look at, at the uh, T206 set, 520 cards in that set, I think. The only, only player that has a mustache in that entire set is John Titus. And uh, it's interesting to me because a few years prior, well, I say a few years, like 20 years prior or whatever, uh, you have Old Judge, you have Alan Ginter, and almost everybody <laughs> has mustaches. So something happened where, and I don't know what it is, I'd actually love to do a study on this to see like, like why everybody like in, in American culture seemingly stopped growing facial hair for, for several decades, at least in baseball. Um, that'd be interesting. So, anyways, uh, from what I recall, uh, the uh, the owner of the A's, ooh, Charlie Finley, Charles Finley, I think that's who it was. Uh, I think he was uh, saying no to uh, facial hair, which I don't know why he would say that if nobody else was was growing it. But uh, anyway, so Reggie Jackson apparently was the lightning rod for this where he started growing facial hair a lot of other ace players did obviously that's where raleigh fingers came from with that magnificent handlebar mustache and uh i was probably uh compared to him most whenever i had my handlebar mustache both him and cap anson uh which was uh pretty funny but uh but yeah, the, the magnificent <laughs> handlebar mustache of, of Raleigh Fingers. And by the way, you go to my website, tanmanbaseballfan.com, uh, you'll see on the front page a custom that I did of myself and Raleigh Fingers together. And it's called the Stash Brothers. And I have like this little fun story about how I think we both powered the A's to, through the World Series to become world champions or something. And uh, somebody by the name of Kelly uh, reached out to me and uh, said, Hey, Tanner, I'm actually going to a signing of Raleigh Fingers. Would you like something signed? So I go, well, yeah, heck yeah. So I actually created that card of both me and him. And so he has Raleigh sign it and Raleigh loves it. And uh, I get the card back and lo and behold, I've got this like really cool dual autograph custom of myself and Raleigh Fingers, the Stash Brothers. <laughs> so, and you want to look at Raleigh Fingers' rookie card. This is going to blow your mind a little bit. It's a 1969 Tops. He's uh, he's sitting there with a few other fellas. Uh, it's like one of those 
future stars types cards that have like multiple players uh raleigh doesn't have his mustache so if you aren't sure what he looked like without his mustache uh check out his rookie card anyway so back to reggie reggie is uh you know very 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 big star a lot of people know him big time ace player big time yankees player uh and he, he also played a little bit of time for uh, the Angels, and I think a little bit of time for the Orioles. So, the uh, so do do we actually include the 1977 tops uh, Reggie Jackson prototype uh, of the Orioles uh, as uh, a front runner for most iconic Orioles card? Yeah, actually, hang on a second. I'm going to actually look this up in Google and see if that was a real card or not. Okay, so I decided to look up a few other things while I was here. Um, yeah, so as it turns out, yes, uh, we're getting back to it here. Um, the, uh, the 1977 Topps Reggie Jackson, uh, showing him as a member of the Orioles, uh, is in fact real. In fact, it is a Topps proof. And uh, looks like according to Keith Overman, there are only eight known copies of the card in existence, and uh, one was uh, one actually sold in April of 2016 at Robert Edward Auctions for sixty thousand dollars. I don't know. I mean, sixty thousand dollars sounds like a pretty iconic card to me. If you're measuring, uh, uh, I you know, being an iconic card with money, like how much it costs. Uh, that's pretty amazing because that's gonna beat the heck out of uh, out of any of the other cards I mentioned before. And by the way, as an aside, I looked up at Brooks Robinson. Yes, his nickname was the Human Vacuum Cleaner, and yes, he is a World Series champion, 1966 and 1970. So I was right about 1970. Um, and I picked up another interesting factoid about uh, Mr. Hu uh, Human Vacuum Cleaner here. He actually has the record of having the longest consecutive uh, career years with a single team, uh, which was 23. I think that's phenomenal. Like, you think about that, like, is, yeah, who, uh, so who has, like, the record for uh, uh, the streak of uh, most games played in a row? Well, you fast forward to uh, 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 the early 80s that starts off with Cal Ripken Jr., another Oriole. And it's kind of a good segue into uh, the next card. 1982 Tops Traded, uh, the, uh, the Iron Horse, the Iron Man, Iron Horse, Iron Man? I don't know. <laughs> I know, uh, I guess they're uh, different terms for both he and Lou Gehrig, I'm not sure, but uh, you know, it's pretty interesting to me uh, that Brooks Robinson was ha held that record for most consecutive years with a single team. And let's see if he, if it was 23 years, I think from 57, 67, 77. So he was probably uh, like he probably ended. Uh, wrapped it up right around the time Ripken came in. So that's interesting. Very, very interesting. And I think uh, Ripken was... Oh, 
going to have to look up this now as well. Um, I think he's a second baseman or shortstop, I think is what Ripken was. Yeah, he's a shortstop because I think he was one of the first uh, guys to play shortstop that were like his size. Like he was, he was really tall from what I recall, but uh, for the shortstop position. So anyways, and I think Brooks Robinson was the third baseman. So, uh, man, they've got a solid left side of the infield there for in the uh, all-time Baltimore team, that's for sure. But anyway, so, so uh, Cowerpkin Jr., do we have... Uh, uh, do we have the slot most iconic Orioles card for him for his A2 tops traded? Uh, I would say Fleer and Donners are probably not nearly as uh, as popular as tops. And his regular tops issue, he had two other guys with him, like that Raleigh Fingers I told you about. Um, so A2 tops traded is his is his first like lone tops rookie card. And, uh, you know, great picture of him, too, in, in a batting stance. So, certainly not the most expensive. Uh, but, uh, you know, is that worthy of, of being the most iconic all-time Orioles card? Well, you know, before you say yes, let's take a look at this, uh, at his brother again. The 89 Fleer, Billy Ripken, Rickface. Now... We're obviously not talking most iconic Orioles player, because if we were, certainly no, on, on no planet would Billy Ripken be uh, considered for this. But because we were talking about cards, we absolutely have to uh, take into consideration the 89 Fleer Billy Ripken Rickface error. And I'll tell you why. So there are a few things that happen here. First of all, uh, back in the late 80s, baseball cards, they transcended the hobby into pop culture. And uh, it was at the, the height of the hobby by, you know, any metric that you really want to throw at it. Everybody just collected baseball cards. Everybody talked about baseball cards. Everybody thought they were the next hot thing for, uh, for investment purposes. And so you have this one card that stood above all the others as an error card. So probably the first most significant error card at the very least. Uh, and yeah, I understand there are other error cards out there. The A9 Upper Deck, uh, Dale Murphy Reverse Negative, the, the 82 Fleer, John Littlefield, Reverse negative. There, there are a few others out there too, no doubt. I mean, there's like a oh, 58 tops, something or other. I don't remember exactly what it was. I mean, you know, for crying out loud, I mean, the uh, there's a 1985 tops card I actually wrote about it in my book uh, as a little factoid. Where, who was that? <laughs> there was uh, somebody who, uh, yeah, Gary Pettis. Uh, Gary Pettis was supposed to pose for his uh, A5 Tops baseball card, and uh, wasn't Pettis on the A5 Tops card. It's actually his 15-year-old brother. <laughs> so check that out if you get a chance. Uh, pretty good. Um, the 1956 Tops had another uncorrected error where I think they were supposed to be uh, uh, showing in the background the action shot of like 
Willie Mays was actually Hank Aaron. Uh, you know, so there are, you know, obviously 87 Donners opening day. Uh, uh, Barry Bonds air where it actually shows Johnny Ray. I mean, there's, so there certainly were air cards out there, but none of them is eye popping uh, as headline producing as the Rick face because uh, the rest of the world, the public, okay, they're, they're not going to care that Johnny Ray was pictured on a Barry Bonds card. You know, they're not going to care if a picture of Dale Murphy or John Littlefield were reversed. It's just not something interesting to people outside of uh, the hobby. Now, you have something like the Billy Ripken with a, uh, a swear word like the F-bomb, the bad, <laughs> the, the worst of all the words, uh, the worst of all the bad words, on the front of a card uh, that uh, was really kind of packaged for, you know, kids, like to be kid-friendly. I mean, yeah, that's going to make headlines. That's going to make headlines on uh, covers of uh, newspapers. And so... That's why we have to consider that, at least consider that, as one of the front runners for the most iconic Orioles card. So I've been going back and forth with it myself. I think it'd probably be between the A2 Tops Trey Ripken, which interestingly enough, uh, I looked at his uh, stats where I read somewhere recently that like his, uh, his stats from year to year weren't actually really all that eye-popping impressive. Uh, which just really goes to show you uh, how much in baseball uh, longevity is valued and, uh, you know, being there. So pretty interesting. But uh, either way, tremendous baseball player. Uh, some people might have called him a compiler. I don't care. He was great. He's a great player. Uh, so for me, it came down to the Ripken brothers. And I still kind of an undecided if it weren't for the fact that the Rick face card was infamous, uh, I would probably, uh, say that card, uh, just because of how much of a spotlight has always been on that card. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It's hard to go against a hall of famer, like the number one guy, uh, for the Orioles, I think, uh, in their franchise. So I'd probably go for, the A9 Fleer, Billy Ripken, Rick Face card is the most iconic Orioles card in history. Uh, and mainly because of just how, again, it, it transcended our hobby and was massive news to everybody, to anybody and everybody. And yeah, it was 30 years ago, but it, it kind of holds like an unofficial title, like a status that can certainly not be taken away from it. And so I think a lot of people would say, you know, wait a second, the Reggie Jackson, that prototype tanner that you're talking about, that was, it sold for 60 grand like a few years ago. Yeah, I get it, I understand, but you know, you ask 99 people out of 100, maybe not that much, 90 out of 100 collectors, they're probably not even going to know that card exists. You know, if they had to guess how much that card is worth, they'd probably say a couple hundred bucks. Um, but in any event, uh, 
the next team, uh, and I'll probably end on this team here because it's my team growing up and I love them, the Oakland Athletics. Now, the poster over at Blowout Forums uh, gave a handful of, of uh, front runners for most iconic card for the athletics. And it started with the, uh, uh, it's the T206 Eddie Plank, the E90-1, I think, Shields Joe Jackson. That's right, he is a member of the Philadelphia Athletics back then. The 1969 Topps Reggie Jackson, the 1986 Donruss rated rookie Jose Canseco, and I think like a 2000, 2001 Topps Barry Zito. Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, cut that one off because yeah, that's not gonna, that's not gonna go anywhere. Uh, so with these four cards, is it four? Yeah, I guess four. Uh, oh, that's right. 80 tops, Ricky Henderson as well. Uh, so, we're, so we're looking at five cards. Eddie Plank, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Reggie Jackson, Ricky Henderson, and Jose Canseco. Can you take a wild guess at who I voted for? <laughs> we'll go through each one of them, though. So, uh, the Eddie Plank T206 is a very, very intriguing card. Now... There's only 60-something of them uh, that are in existence today. And it is, believe it or not, the second uh, most valuable card in the entire uh, T206 set. And it is only second because of Hannes Wagner. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why uh, it's so rare. Uh, first of all, you can have... 60 something copies of other cards and in, in other sets and it's just not going to matter nearly as much as it does for the plank uh there's just so many t206 collectors out there that are going for the set or uh partial set minus the wagner set minus the wagner plank whatever um but so people have speculated you know why are there so few uh, Eddie Planks than anybody else. Well, some people say perhaps he didn't like his likeness uh, associated with tobacco. Others said perhaps the reason why is because he wanted more money uh, to allow them to use his likeness. And still others will say that perhaps it was just the printing plate. It just cracked. <laughs> so I'm not really sure exactly which one's which or which one happened. I don't think anybody really does. But nevertheless... Something happened, and because of it, the card is wildly expensive. I think one sold for uh, nicely conditioned, one sold for like close to half a million dollars. I saw one online recently that was like just beat to death, and I think it was uh, I think it sold for like fifty grand. I mean, you know, so that's a big deal of a card. And uh, you know, to let you know, by the way, Eddie Plank, he was no joke. He was, uh, I think, he was a uh, pitcher for the Philadelphia Athletics that uh, it was a stellar stellar player I think I think he spent his entire career there he actually has if I recall correctly a higher war wins below wins above replacement value than all of the other guys that I'm about to talk about for the athletics so we're talking uh, him beating out Kinseiko Shields Joe Jackson Reggie Jackson, even Ricky Henderson. 
So pretty big deal. Um, so the next card up is an E90-1. Uh, it's like a caramel card. It's, it looks like a tobacco card of Sheila's Joe Jackson, which is his rookie. And, uh, you know, it's nothing really to look at as far as uh, beauty goes. I mean, it's kind of a, a crudish drawing, but, you know, the, a lot of these candy cards uh, don't hold uh, an artistic value as much as the uh, uh, T206 set does. But there are some that actually do really, really well. Like there's some beautiful, beautifully colored Christy Matthewson cards and, you know, beautiful uh, stark red background, Cy Young. But, you know, I digress. It's a, in any event, it's a, it's a card that is amazing because of who's on it. Shoeless Joe Jackson. And this is his rookie. It's nine years before, nine or ten years before the Black Sox scandal. I think it's a, I don't know if it's considered a 1909 card or a 1910 card offhand. But, uh, uh, anyways, check it out though. It's fun just to take a look at it. And guys, I'm, gosh, I don't know about y'all. I'm just thankful for the internet just to be able to look up rare cards like this just to enjoy them from the uh, computer monitor but anyway so that was one of them and, and you know most people don't know that he uh he played for the athletics uh to start off with you know you, you don't think they nobody really knows that he played for the indians either uh they always think white Sox. but so anyways that's another uh iconic forerunner now next one 1969 tops reggie jackson uh rookie card that obviously uh, does deserve some sort of uh, scrutiny as being uh, the perhaps the best uh, A's card, the most iconic A's card. And, uh, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. And this, again, by the way, is pre-facial hair for him. Real clean-cut kid. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, real nice card. It's a, it's a great card, and he actually shares... Uh, his rookie card uh, in the set, in the, or he shares, his card shares the same set as the Raleigh Fingers rookie card does, but he got one card on his own. So, uh, real nice card. Going forward, you have to go, which is kind of funny because we basically made a jump from 1910 to 1969 uh, for the athletics. I don't know, I think you probably have to put in like, Another possible forerunner, if, if I could do a write-in, maybe like a, a 1933 DeLong, uh, Jimmy Fox. You know, I, I don't think anybody would uh, go against having that as a possibility as well. Uh, they called him Old Double X. They called him the right-handed version of Babe Ruth. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, from what I recall, again, if I had Google Brain, it would be a lot better, but I don't, unfortunately. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, we had Babe Ruth, who started off as a pitcher and became a hitter. He was a phenomenal pitcher and became an even more phenomenal hitter, so we all know all that stuff. Jimmy Fox was a phenomenal hitter, and I think, I think, I think, I think, he uh, ended his career actually doing some pitching and did pretty well, too. So he, he was like literally the opposite Babe Ruth, <laughs> but, uh, he wasn't just considered the, the right hand of Babe Ruth, I guess. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that Jimmy Fox, 1933 DeLong or 
1933 Gaudi, I guess. Uh, you say also, I, I just like mixing up by saying DeLong in there too, because it's a fun set. Uh, but anyway, so the next one was the 1980 Tops Ricky Henderson. Ah, such a wonderful card. Like, especially for, I think all of us probably uh, in my generation know a whole lot more about Ricky Henderson than Reggie Jackson, for instance. Uh, we, we remember him and all of his stories of just like how self-absorbed he was, but like, you know, he's like the epitome of somebody that would say like, it's not bragging if you can back it up. Uh, he obliterated the stolen base record. I think uh, Lou Brock held that record first. Uh, and he held it for a couple decades, who I think he probably took it off of Billy Hamilton from the 19th century, uh, or maybe Ty Cobb. I don't recall which one was which, uh, who was like third place at that point. But, you know, Ricky Henderson stole uh, his 939th base, I think, like in 1990. So you have to understand something here. Like, Ricky was only around for about 10 years <laughs> and he broke the record and he just kept going and he smashed it like nobody will be able to get close to, to what Ricky ever did then again Billy Hamilton said that also uh, back in the, the 1800s so, <laughs> so maybe maybe in the 22nd century we'll see somebody that beats uh, Ricky Henderson's uh, uh, record but anyway you know you look at, at Ricky Henderson in like the early 80s uh, he was somebody, like he was baseball's premier leadoff hitter all throughout the 80s and a lot of the 90s where if he gets on base and he walks, it, it was almost just as good as a double. <laughs> and if somebody hits a single, forget about it, he's going to score a run uh, if he's on second. So, uh, you know, he would, you know, he could easily challenge the best arms of the outfield. I mean, you could have somebody uh, hit a ball, uh, over to Bo Jackson or something like that. And, uh, you know, hey, look, Bo had an absolute rocket of an arm. Uh, nah, but Ricky was just so fast. He was so fast. Somebody said, maybe it was Bill James, said if you split Ricky Henderson, if you break him into two, you have two Hall of Famers. And uh, it's true. He was just phenomenal. He had amazing power, amazing speed, obviously. Uh, he was just a run producer, run creator, great, great, great uh, uh, baseball player. And uh, even his antics in the, in the outfield, I remember, uh, you know, sometimes uh, somebody hitting a baseball in left field and going so far out and him just like propping his body up on uh, his knees not even looking up because he just knew the ball was sailing over his head. He knew he had great spatial awareness of where the ball was going. Just didn't, you know, he didn't even, didn't even flinch. Uh, I remember also Barry Bonds doing the same thing one time and the ball hitting, <laughs> hitting the wall. <laughs> and uh, he had to go, oh no, and turn around and do something with the ball. But, uh, you know, Ricky Henderson in the early 80s, I mean, like, he put up triple digits of stolen bases from time to time. And, you know, he wasn't the only one back then. I mean, I think uh, Vince Coleman and Willie McGee 
both those guys for the Cardinals did that uh, a couple times too, if I recall correctly. Um, but Ricky Henderson was just the complete package. I mean, and, and you always hear all these stories about him, like uh, how he would talk in uh, third person all the time. Uh, you know, oh, Ricky's doing great today. Ricky's going to do awesome at this game. And, you know, you, you hear stories about how he was, he'd just be standing there uh, with a bat, uh, wearing nothing but his underwear, looking in the mirror, <laughs> you know, and uh, just uh, an eccentric guy. And you, uh, yeah, you, you just, you enjoy, you enjoy the stories that you hear about Ricky. And uh, actually, uh, came to know somebody that was extremely close with Ricky uh, recently over the past few years and uh, you know I actually was able to pick up a game used 1989 World Series team sign baseball uh, so that 89 World Series team sign baseball that I have it's game used uh, that's from Ricky Henderson's collection guys so pretty cool uh, pretty cool stuff and uh, interestingly enough the only person that uh, uh, what didn't sign was Jose, so I was able to have Jose sign it at his house in the exact spot that I wanted. So that was kind of fun, too. Uh, who knows? Maybe Ricky didn't uh, didn't let uh, Jose sign that ball because uh, he was still upset uh, that Jose's tortoises ate uh, some of his, like, designer shoes or something. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. It's pretty funny. And interestingly enough, also, another factoid here for you. Uh, Jose and Ricky had a foot race. I don't know how far it was, like if it was a 40-yard dash or what, but uh, but Jose beat Ricky. So, you know, Jose was legit. And uh, we'll go ahead and slide into uh, uh, the final card um, of this list for the athletics was the 1986 Donners Ray Rookies, Jose Caseco. And, uh, you know, this obviously uh, is my pick for most iconic card. Uh, for the Oakland Athletics, uh, I think the A tops Ricky rookie and the '69 tops Reggie rookie are great. As are the Plank and the Shoeless Joe Jackson. But let's be honest here. Uh, first of all, this this poll was for the Oakland Athletics, so uh, Oakland Athletics weren't around back when Plank and Shoeless Joe were were around. So they were the Philadelphia Athletics, not the Oakland A's. Uh, back then. So looking at these other three, Reggie, Ricky, and Jose, uh, there's something special about the Jose card. And uh, it's kind of hard to explain if you were actually not in uh, baseball card collecting uh, at the height of the hype of all of baseball, uh, baseball card collecting. That card, guys, like the Ray Rookie, was the uh, the holy grail for everybody. <laughs> everybody wanted the A6 Donner Show rookie, Jose Canseco. Uh, and we're talking like uh, late 80s, early 90s. That was like the card to have for quite a while. And maybe like 88 to 90 or something. And, uh, you know, it was just, it's a beautiful card. A6 Donner set itself was just... Uh, was just great. It was great. The uh, the Raider rookie logo itself was uh, invented just a year prior, um, and so it almost had like a uh, uh, kind of a uh, 
1989 Upper Deck Griffey Aura about it before the Griffey was even around. You know, real nice headshot. Uh, just the card itself, it just has a great look to it. And before that even, like the 84 Donnerstein Mattingly, it had that same feel. Like, by the way, you're going to look at something, like look look up the prices for 84 Donners PSA 10 Don Mattingly's. They go for like somewhere between like twelve and sixteen hundred dollars last time I checked. Like I would never thought that PSA ten Don Manley would have gone for that because I mean, look, he was a great player, but uh, you know he didn't rack up Hall of Fame play, uh, numbers because he simply didn't play long enough for it. So it's amazing to me. It goes to show you that Hall of Fame isn't everything. But anyway, so the three cards that really kind of carried the eighties as far as rookie cards go would be that had like this frenzy around them, like this unbridled frenzy around them. I would say it would be the A4 Donruss Mattingly, uh, the A6 Donruss Jose Canseco Ray rookie, and the A9 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr. Uh, rookie. Now, I, you know, look, I understand there are other cards uh, in the 80s that were huge for a while. Uh, Fernando Mania, the A1 Tops uh, Fernando Valenzuela, the... Uh, a4 Fleer update that actually has heard from somebody on the platforms that that was a big deal of a card for a while. Uh, when I think of A4 Fleer update, I mean, all I remember is the Roger Clemens and the uh, Kirby Puckett being a big deal with the Gooden being a, a distant third. But anyway, so the 85 tops, Mark McGuire, especially, especially during that epic 1998 home run uh, chase season with uh, Sammy Sosa. Uh, so yeah, the the 80s can certainly not be defined merely by three cards of Mattingly, Canseco, and Griffey. But uh, but I don't think the hype that was perpetuated by the number of people uh, in collecting uh, was ever eclipsed uh, by anyone other than. Uh, Mattingly, Canseco, and Griffey for their rookies. And uh, the the Canseco, for instance, though, like, uh, to think of it as a card that has been mass-produced, because you can easily pick up that card on eBay anytime you want. Uh, and yet that card hit, hit, uh, would fetch from time to time 150 to $200 back in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, you think about that for a raw card that was by no means rare. By no means rare whatsoever. Uh, and one of the most counterfeited cards back then as well. Uh, you know, that's, that's saying something. So there's never a time when you have like the, the 80 tops Ricky Henderson or the 69 tops Reggie Jackson. There's never really a time in collecting where so like such a huge horde of collectors uh, wanted a card so badly as people wanted the Canseco Ray rookie, uh, which is why uh, it was my pick for most iconic card for the A's. Um, and it's not me being biased. I mean, you know, I can understand somebody picking one of the other cards. It's not like a cut and dry thing. In fact, that poll right now shows Ricky Henderson's 80 tops card being the most iconic card in the poll. 
at uh, being the first pick of people with Canseco being second. Um, there's people that are dumbfounded that Canseco is even on the list, which kind of just goes to show you that they don't really understand what happened at the height of the junk wax era uh, with that card. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it is there as a solid second place. And uh, you know, I don't blame people one bit for wanting to uh, vote for the A tops Ricky Henderson because look, you you put the A tops uh, Ricky, the A69 tops Reggie, and the A6 Donners Jose in front of somebody. Uh, you know, anybody who knows anything, they're always going to go for uh, picking the Ricky or the Reggie, and most likely Reggie because of value. But uh, but as far as looks go. As far as uh, familiarity, it's always going to be the A6 uh, Canseco. Always be that A6 Canseco. Um, take a look and see how much time I have left here on this. Yeah, I guess I'll probably have to wrap up in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, so uh, the Canseco Ray rookie, it transcended uh, the hobby. It really did. It was something that, you know, Christmas lists were filled <laughs> of having this card. Mom, Dad, if, if I can't have anything at all, uh, anything else, please, just this Ray Rookie card. It wasn't even a card that was even on my radar. I mean, I didn't even ask for it because it was like so far out of my stratosphere. Like I never even would have dreamt uh, that I would have possibly been able to have had it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah, so... so <sighs> All, all this to say, it was interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about. Like, what makes a card iconic? What makes something most iconic? Is it the value, the scarcity, popularity? Um, I don't know. I, th I tend to think more popularity, but uh, that's just me. What are your thoughts? Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, love to hear, hear it, and feel free to jump in on uh, blowoutforums.com on those polls as well. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. Please uh, like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I would appreciate it. Y'all have a great night.